Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Who am I? Who are you? Who are you really? If you were to end the sentence, I am dot dot dot, what would you say? This is a question of identity. I might say, well, I'm South African. I'm a pastor. I'm a wannabe theologian. I'm a surfer. I'm a husband. And a new identity for me, I'm a father. But who am I really? I mean, what really defines us? Is it our nationality, our marital status, our sexuality, our success? Are we defining ourselves by our wealth, our riches? or by our failures, our past mistakes, or by our interests, our hobbies? Who are we, really? Or are we just a, a construct of all these various social constraints, uh, 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 various social elements, if you want to call them? A parent, a, a worker, a pastor, a surfer? Or is there a core to who we really are? Also, is it what we do that determines who we are, or is it who we are that determines what we do? Is it because I surf that I am a surfer, or am I a surfer and therefore I surf? Because I've been in the water many times and I've seen people on a surfboard in the water trying to surf and they're definitely not surfers. Conversely, you could be a surfer, and if you never pick up your surfboard and go surfing, are you really a surfer? So what determines who we are, who we really are? And is there a core to who we really are? Do we have a core identity? Keep this question in your mind as we turn to the, the letter of Ephesians. And first century letters are very much like emails, in that the first line tells you who it's from, and the second line to who it's addressed to. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, we told Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so we discover that Paul is writing this. Paul was a fanatical Jew. He would actually persecute Christians. He even oversaw the execution of Christians. But then one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus miraculously appeared to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? This experience dramatically changed the life of Paul, and Paul became one of the greatest church leaders in the early church. And in fact, many of his letters, including Ephesians, was included in the New Testament. And Paul is referred to as an apostle, apostle of Jesus. That's a messenger of Jesus, someone who is sent out on a commission. And Paul was sent out with the message, with the good news of Jesus, and he took that message to non-Jews. See, up until that point, the church had predominantly been made up of Jews. But now Paul takes this good news, this message of Jesus, to the non-Jews, mainly in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey and Greece. And Ephesus is kind of center point 
And it's a church made up of predominantly non-Jews. And now it's because, it's actually because Paul is taking the good news to these non-Jews that he ends up being thrown in prison. Paul is in prison, and why he's in prison, he decides to write this letter to all the churches around Ephesus. It's a, it's a circular letter to all the churches around Ephesus. And so we read in, in, in the second line, it says, To the saints, that's the Christians in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And what we discover over here is they have a dual identity. They are in Ephesus and they are in Christ Jesus. They have a very natural identity. They are Ephesians. But they have a greater identity. They are in Christ. And this seems to be their core identity because Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in Him, referring to Jesus, ten times from verse 3 through to 14. This is their main identity. This is their core identity in Christ. And if you are a Christian, then your core identity is in Christ. What does it mean uh, to be in Christ? We read in verse 13, Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So to be in Christ, firstly, means you have put your faith in Christ. You have decided to be a follower of Christ. And secondly, it means that God has given you His Holy Spirit, His very presence and power. The very Spirit of Jesus indwells you. And therefore, Jesus is present with you, and you are present with Jesus. You have identified with Jesus, and Jesus is united with you. And it's through this that we are restored to a right relationship with God. And Paul simply can't stop himself from praising God because of what God has done for him. All the way through from verses 3 to 14, he's continually praising God for his identity in Christ, even though he's in prison. Yeah, if I was in prison and I was writing a letter to someone, I wouldn't be praising God. I'd be still in prison, still sucks. But he's praising God because of his identity. In Christ. And he praises God essentially for three reasons. Firstly, we are chosen in Christ. We read in verse 4 it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, it states that Israel, the Jewish nation, was chosen by God to be a holy people, to be His treasure possession. 
And now Paul is writing to essentially non-Jews, and he's saying, if you are in Christ, you too are chosen to be holy. And it's the same for us. If we are in Christ, if we have put our faith in Christ, then we too discover that God has chosen us. Before the foundations of the world, God knew you and chose you. You see, God takes the initiative. God comes to us in Jesus. God comes and seeks us. Why does God choose us? Is it because of all the good things we've done? Do we have to earn God's choice? No. In verse 5 it says, In love. He predestined us. In other words, in love, He chose us in advance to be adopted as His sons. He chose us because He loves us. He chose us because He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to be His. His sons and His daughters. Part of His family. And there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn God's choice because before the foundations of the world, God knew us, God loved us, and God chose us. But God does choose us for a reason, for a purpose. Verse 4 says to be holy and blameless. Now that was... Israel's calling and vocation. Israel was meant to be a holy nation. Holy means to be set apart, to be different. And Israel is to be set apart in order to reflect God's character to the rest of the world. And now Paul is saying, is, is, if you are in Christ, then that too is your calling, your vocation. To be holy. And so the question for us as a Christian community in Christ is, are we different? Are we set apart? Are we holy? Not holier than thou in a legalistic sense, in a self-righteous and judgmental way, but when people look at us as a community, can they see the true character of God? Can they see God's love God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's compassion working out in us as a community. That's our calling. That's our vocation. That's our identity in Christ. That is who we are. We are holy and blameless. Now, we might not always feel holy and blameless. We might not always act like we're holy and blameless. But that is who we are. And if that is who we are, then it needs to determine how we act and behave. That's our true identity. Secondly, we are forgiven in Christ. Now, Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and God comes and He rescues Israel out of slavery and sets them free. In a similar way, all of humanity is in slavery to sin. And sin is essentially being in a broken relationship with God. We have all turned our backs on God. We have all done things our own way. 
and we, we like to be our own boss. We're addicted to being our own boss and we get into the habit of doing things our way. And we often feel powerless. I feel powerless. I want to do the right thing, but I so often don't do the right thing. I say things without thinking it through. I say hurtful things. I do things in the heat of the moment, and later on, I have regrets. I wish I could go back in time and redo things, but I can't. I'm powerless. And the result is I feel guilty. And so often our past failures and our past mistakes define who we are. They have a power over us. But Paul writes in verse 7, In Him we have redemption, that's freedom, through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In other words, what we discover over here is that if if we are in Christ, if we put our faith in Christ, we are forgiven. Because Jesus has dealt with our sins on the cross. So when God looks at you, He doesn't see your past failures and mistakes, but rather He sees someone who is holy and blameless. This is what theologians call the great exchange. Our sins are transferred onto Christ, and Christ deals with it on the cross, and Christ's holiness is transferred onto us. And there's absolutely nothing we need to do or can do to earn this forgiveness. It's God's free gift to us. It's grace. But so often... Our past defines who we are. But our past should never define who we are. Our past might explain who we are, but it should never define who we are because God has forgiven us. He has dealt with our past, and we've been made new in Christ. I heard a pastor once telling, how he, telling us how he was counseling this girl who, who was very promiscuous sexually. And he asked her, well, why do you do all these things? Why do you allow boys to do all of this? And he said, I'll never forget her answer. She said, I am a dirty girl. And therefore I do dirty things. Her past was defining who she was and had power over her. She needed to know that God has forgiven her, that her past has been dealt with, and she has a true identity is in God, is that she's a child of God, loved by God, chosen by God. Thirdly, we have guaranteed an inheritance in Christ. Israel was given an inheritance of the promised land. But for those who are in Christ, there is a far greater inheritance. In verses 10 through to 11, Paul tells us how God is going to work out everything according to His plan. And His plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together. To bring unity, harmony, and peace. There will be no more wars, no more division, no more death. Everything will be made new again, like in the Garden of Eden. And we will walk with God. And we will know God face to face. This is the hope we have in Christ. 
And how do we know that we are included within this hope? Paul writes in verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. When you go into a shop and you want to buy something, you can put down a deposit which guarantees that you are going to purchase the item. Then the shopkeeper puts a sold sticker on the item to tell everyone that that item belongs to you. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is like that sold sticker, that seal that shows that we belong to God. And the Holy Spirit is that deposit, that first payment, guaranteeing the full gift to come. And then when we realize that we belong to God, when we realize that we will inherit eternal life in our completely restored and renewed cosmos, it has a profound effect upon us. And it starts to define who we are. Because our destiny in Christ determines who we are. And when we start to realize our true identity in Christ, that God chose us in Christ, that God forgave us in Christ, that God guarantees our inheritance of eternal life in Christ, it has a profound effect on us. Firstly, like Paul, we simply will not be able to stop ourselves from praising God for all that He has done. But secondly, it will actually determine who we are. You see, this is our core identity, and it's this identity in Christ that permeates through all our other identities. I'm not just a husband. I'm a Christian husband, a Christian father, a Christian surfer, a Christian pastor, and so on. It changes and alters my view of myself as a father and as a husband and as a surfer and has a profound effect on the way I behave. So often people define themselves, their identity and their self-worth in what they achieve. And if you achieve your goals and you define yourself as successful, as rich, as a winner, as wealthy. And if you fail to achieve your goals, you define yourself as a failure, as an unsuccessful, as a struggler, as someone who is miserable. But we should never define our identity and our self-worth according to what we do. We should define our identity and our self-worth in what God has done for us. You see, I don't define myself and my identity and my self-worth in my past failures and mistakes because I know God has forgiven me and that is dealt with and that's in the past. And I don't find my self-worth and my identity in all the things I've achieved because I know that God has promised me an inheritance that far exceeds anything I could ever achieve. 
Rather, I find my identity in the fact that God has chosen me because He loves me. He wants a relationship with me. He wants me to be His child. And that is completely secure. You see, I could be successful today but lose everything tomorrow. Paul lost everything. He was in prison. He was suffering. He was being persecuted. But yet he was able to praise God because his identity and his self-worth wasn't found in his achievements or his failures, but was found in what God had done for him in Christ. So who are you? Who are you really? Where do you find your identity? Is it in the things you have achieved or failed to achieve? Or do you find your identity in Christ? If you are not sure of your true identity, if you are not sure if you do find your identity in Christ, then can I encourage you today, now, to review who you really are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are just so overwhelmed with praise and and love when we consider that before the, the world even began, you knew us, you loved us, and you chose us. That you desire to have a relationship with us. You want us to be your children. Father, we thank you that you don't judge us on our past successes and failures. Our past has been forgiven, has been dealt with. But rather you offer us a wonderful inheritance. Your Father, we confess so often we try to find our self-worth and our identity in the things we do. In our successes, in, in our jobs, in our relationships. We try to find it in our, our nationality, in our marital status or lack thereof, and so many other things. Father, won't you forgive us for that? Won't you help us to find our true identity, our core identity, in you and in you alone? And let that core, that understanding of our identity in Christ permeate through every other area of our life. And redeem every area of our life. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.